0: G'day guys and welcome back to the Glory Days. In this episode, we have a look at Aubrey Thunder's back-to-back Premiership season of 2013 in Group 9 Rugby League. A massive thanks to the episode sponsors, Meredith Joinery, Kale Plumbing, Border Homes, Black Cats Sponsors Group, M7M Developments and Aubrey Thunder Rugby League Club for making it all happen. Finally, after two decades, Aubrey Thunder had secured its first ever senior premiership in Group 9, beating South City in an epic 2012 encounter. After the celebrations had eventually stopped, the general consensus was the club wanted more. Josh Cale was back as coach and he wanted more. The playing group were on board with just one mission. Back-to-back titles and inflict more pain into the anti-Thunder element of the league who were struggling to come to terms with the emerging force from down south. I hope you enjoy Thunderstruck Back to Back.
1: The year before, I remember Kale saying, that we had to step it up a bit more because he, he, uh, he wanted to keep coaching. He said, if we didn't produce anything, then he wouldn't he wouldn't get the job next year. So and I think it, Cale's real good at sort of motivating you. Like he just sort of get in your ear and Sort of convince you that everyone was hunting for us. So we had that target on our backs now from winning last year. So it was just, yeah, everyone was sort of more determined than ever to keep pushing towards another grand final. I think that's what he was best at. Like he was, I, it worked for me a lot. Like he'd always get in your head, like even when we we're playing against the lower, like the lower teams in a, in a rolling by 80 points or something like that. But before the game, he'd put you in that mindset that there might actually have a challenge on your hands. And like, even though they were walking a park, like, I'd, I'd easily be convinced that, you know, fuck, we've got to turn up today. And um, it was like that every week, yeah. You, you weren't to train and to know you were getting your ass kicked. Like, we weren't, we didn't get to drink too much during the season. Um, so we had an alcohol ban, you weren't allowed to drink after Wednesday. One of the strict things we had in place for us to perform, sort of thing. Friday night drinks weren't a thing. Like you could probably have two beers at home watching the footy, but you weren't allowed to sort of get in a big group and have a massive piss up, sort of thing. And that's, I suppose, that went a long way to how we like kept conditioned and everything for the games, I suppose. But I think just the like the fact that we. Were had such a good culture just because like, like we're all best friends like you could go to training and you could talk uh, to everyone and have a good laugh and you could catch up with anyone for a beer like back then it was the time of our lives really and he demanded respect but he wasn't like a real strict like get in your face kind of coach he just he sort of like he knew how to speak to you and knew how to get his words across he was pretty articulate and then and what he did on the field sort of like you respect what he done on the field and sort of just yeah, relate on to what he says and stuff like that. And like We, we did have simple, like a very simple game plan, which was basically tuck the ball up and go up the guts, really, and then just wear them out. And then uh, once they're tired, let the backs do their work. You won't ever find a team like that again, I don't think. Just so close and so powerful on the field. It was just, yeah, absolutely loved it. It was easily the
0: best time of my life. As you just heard from John Huggett, Coach Kale delivered a tough pre-season with Monument Hill runs among many brutal sessions to get the playing group's mind back on a title defence. As Kale was aware, for the first time, Thunder had become the hunted.
2: You know, after having such a successful year, I think it sort of burned a desire in everyone to keep going and we knew we had a nucleus of a really good side. We retained, you've got to make hay while the sun shines, so... We changed halfbacks. Matty Rose wandered off. You know, Mitchie McLeod come in and, you know, a few other blokes locally. We didn't really recruit too much. Um, you know, we are lucky enough to get Jake Grace. After Christmas, you know, the talk was and I was thinking, geez, you know, <laughs> we've picked up a few good ones in the last couple of years. And, you know, he wanted to come out. He's obviously had a strong bond with the Forbes boys and uh, he had a hip, hip injury. So I wasn't sure how long it would take. But once he made the decision, you know, we just – Told him to get himself right and we had sort of had to hold him back more than anything. Um, once he sort of joined the side, he, he just brought another level of experience oh. and, yeah, he was tough and trained well and just a good bloke as well, so good and mix. Great bloke, Gracie, and, um, yeah, just infectious, a bit like Lou, yeah. um, Mitch, all them boys were just really good to bring into the fold and everyone... Just wanted to be around each other. So it made it pretty easy. Um, we trained hard, and because they were all so fit, we, you know, everyone talked about us having this, you know, all these stars, but we just trained hard, trained a lot harder than everyone else and had that mindset. And yeah, you throw in the talent we had, it was a pretty good mixture. We just hung around each other a lot. Even uh, I think we were doing recovery sessions on a Monday where, you know we're doing ice baths and it's hard to get blokes when they're working full time to get to train twice a week let alone we're doing three and then you've got the game so we're with each other a lot we'd have barbecues we're all together raising money um things like that and a lot of people would turn up a lot of players which was really good and important for the culture of the club it doesn't matter i think i've said this before it doesn't matter who's coaching if everyone buys in and you're all singing the same tune it geez it makes it easy
0: They also had plenty of match practice that included a trip to play Dubbo Macquarie and the combined Group 9 and 20s club pre-season competition that Thunder dominated, beating Leeton and Hay in the early rounds, then hammering Wagga Kangaroos 40-8 in the semi-final. The pre-season final at equex Centre in Wagga would pit Thunder against South City. And just like the 2012 Premiership Decider at the same venue, Thunder were triumphant, defeating South City 22-16 to take the $3,000 winner's cheque. At 16-all, it was looking like extra time before Josh Kale scored under the post to wrap up proceedings. Lou Goodwin and Willie Hedder were outstanding for the Thunder. Club president, Rick O'Connell, said the previous season's success was enjoyed and attention quickly turned to the season ahead. I think all clubs that have
3: experienced their first success in a while um, yeah, certainly soak it up in that off season period, and you, you've got to get an idea of where you're going to be in uh, the following season, like in 2013. And and we did know that we were going to get a bit of a turnover in personnel because, you know, Ben Ryan and Brett Biles had retired, Henry Hedder had indicated he was going to WA. Um, it wasn't until a bit later that Matt Rose was unavailable and that we had to look for a replacement for Matt. So young Chris Mosby, he was chasing employment. You know, he, he couldn't commit to the two thirteen season. Like all clubs, you get a turnover. And with our Forbes connections with the boys, they'd put us on to Jake Grace and that he was available. He wouldn't come into the side for a while because he had to have a hip Operation. So we did have a few things in place, but as the season wore on, uh, we realised our replacement halfback went down in Josh Murray after six games and then they opened up the door for Mitch McLeod to come in. And um, I think we also identified we need to strengthen our back line a little bit. Uh, we were able to talk Mitch Seaton uh, into coming home from up north. So that certainly bolstered our backline.
0: Thunder were missing five players from the 2012 Premiership with Brett Biles, and Ben Ryan, both retiring, while halfback Matt Rose and centre Henry Hedder had moved from the region. Chris Seaton was unavailable for round one at Gundigai. Replacing Matty Rose at halfback would be former Wagga junior Josh Murray, who earlier in his career spent time at Parramatta and Sydney Roosters before hip injuries curtailed his career. Murray had played 2012 at Tamora. Another inclusion was Nick Wilson, a housemate and friend of Lou Goodwin. Anzac Park Gundigai, the venue for round one, had been a graveyard for the Thunder and was where Thunder had suffered its only loss last season. Adding to this was Gundigai boasting gun recruits Damien Willis and Phil Latu. Thunder sent an early warning to the competition with a commanding 28-8 win with new halfback Josh Murray setting up three early tries. A huge crowd rolled in for Thunder's first game against Wagga Brothers, and what a cracker it was, with Brothers leading 22 20 at half time, before fullback Benny Jeffrey with three tries and Willie Head two ensured the defending Premiers prevailed 48 30 in a stunning second half. Jeffrey did strain a hamstring, and young forward Braden Ballard a shoulder injury. Aubrey headed to Nixon Park tomorrow without Ben Jeffrey. In his absence, Willie Hedder took over the goal-kicking duties and calmly slotted eight goals and a try as Thunder steamrolled the Dragons 52-12 with Lockie Hampton on debut and John Huggett injuring a shoulder. Mitch Davis, Lou Goodwin and Mark Walsham starred for the Thunder as they made it three in a row. Back-to-back road trips had Thunder taking on Cootamundra at Fisher Park. The tough game was compounded further with Thunder having four players: Ben Jeffrey, Willie Hedder, Lou Goodwin, and Mitch Davis, all having played the previous evening in Griffith, representing Group Nine against Group Twenty. In a cracking game, Kudam underscored two late tries to inflict the Premiers' first defeat, 36 to 28. The tired visitors led 24-16 in the second half, but could not hold on as the Cootamundra Bulldogs thrilled their large home crowd. Lou Goodwin was outstanding with two tries and some bruising defence. Thunder were back at home for the Round 5 clash with Tumut and led 18-0 after a blistering start, before Tumut pulled back two tries to be only eight down at half-time. But spurred on by Dion Belford-Lalua and Willie Hedder, the local boys stormed home to win 42-14. The first weekend in June was a huge one for the Thunders' representative players with Willie Hedder, Mitch Davis, Lou Goodwin and Ben Jeffrey all playing for Group 9 in Cooma on the Saturday night where they belted Group 16 to the tune of 78-0. All four players backed up the following day for Aubrey in the grand final replay against South City, who also had six players backing up from representative duties. Thunder led 22-0 after 50 minutes before finally winning 28-10 in what coach Josh Cale described as a season best performance. Mitch Davis spoke about backing up from rep footy to club football.
4: It wasn't too bad to be honest. I mean, we were all a bit younger back then and you know, Joshy Cale used to pump us at training. So like we had a we had a pretty well solid program. So we'd do three weeks of fitness, like every Tuesday to be fitness, you'd just sort of get a bit of a touch up. Whether you won or lost, it didn't matter. We we just had fitness and it and everyone just bit down and did it. You know, it was just what you... and then the fourth week was a bit of speed. So like we we're always fairly fit. I mean, playing in the forwards was always a little bit slightly tougher just because – not that the backs aren't tough, but just a few more knocks, I suppose, carrying the ball and and that sort of thing. But, I mean, backing up was always easy for me because I just loved Aubrey. I loved the club and they they looked after me so well and I just just wanted to perform for them. Like, it wasn't – and the fans and the crowd and the sponsors and everyone, like, everyone treated us so well down there and – you know, it was a no-brainer for me backing up. Like I, I, was always going to put my hand up, and it was never about like getting a matchy or anything like that. It was more, I just wanted, I just wanted the team and the town to be to be proud of me as a player, and I just wanted to always be that player that everyone wanted to play with, sort of thing. So you know, backing up sort of probably always was a, Yeah, like I said, a bit of a no-brainer for me. I
0: was, I was never, unless I was seriously injured, I was never going to not play. New halfback Josh Murray unfortunately hit another injury snag with this time a hernia complaint ultimately would end his season which would pave the way for local lad Mitch McLeod to fill the role. Club football was on hold for the next two weeks due to a long weekend bye and a club bye for the Thunder. There was plenty happening though behind the scenes with Aubrey signing a star forward in Jake Grace and a talented former junior Mitch Seaton returning from the Gold Coast. The four representative players were in action again on Saturday, June 15, with a trip to Wollongong to take on the strong Group Seven, which ended Group 9's hopes of a country championship title going down 44 to 26. Club football returned, and it was a Saturday trip to the mountains to take on Tumbarumba, who had lost its last 15 matches. Well, it became 16 when Thunder hammered the Greens 76 to 14, with Ben Jeffrey scoring three tries and kicking 11 goals. Chris Seaton and Willie Header both scored a double. The football was secondary as the Aaron Sweeney and Josh Cale show went into full swing as Josh Cale takes up the story.
2: Yeah, obviously I had a little bit of history with him from a few years prior and I wasn't sure whether he remembered me or not. What was that? We were playing a game at the SFS. I was playing for the Roosters and he was playing for the Wests. He was giving Joey Williams a fair bit of stick about his haircut in one of the scrums and um, the ref kept pulling the scrum up and... There was probably a few um, rubbing of heads and a few little headbutts. And, yeah, so we sort of got into a bit of a stink. And he didn't throw too many back, to be honest. But I remember when we were running off the field, he tried to barge me in the sheds. And we were running up the tunnel past Ar- Big Artie Beats. And just remember Beto shaking his head at me like, don't punch him. And I was, I was just thinking, just get to the sheds and do me 10 minutes in the bin. And, um, yeah, so I, I wasn't sure if he remembered me What year not. was that? It would have been 2002. So I was playing under 20s. 2002. So this 11 years later <laughs> at Tumba Yeah. I just
0: Or never, was there another chapter?
2: No, no. I just remember walking off the field and I was just like, that bloke's mad. And I remember reading the program and, and reading his name and i yeah, I didn't cross him too much for the rest of the time in Sydney, but I did hear of his name, went to the Queensland Cup for a little bit, and um, yeah, I just sort of remembered him from there, and I wasn't sure if he remembered me or knew my <laughs> name, but he seemed to remember when I mentioned it to him on the field. They they were pretty grubby, to be honest. Um, we went up there, we had a young pack, pretty full-on game, like they were carrying on with a fair bit, and uh, I just reminded Aaron if he kept going, maybe a similar thing had happened, and and then he got stuck into me and yeah, verbally and we didn't come to blows that day. We, we wrestled on the ground a bit, but we didn't really come to blows. So he got on top of me, I couldn't get him off. So <laughs> he wore me out. It was an interesting day, that's for sure. Well, he tried to fight me the whole way to the tunnel at Tumba as well. And that's what I said. How were the
0: locals going?
2: Geez, I copped it. I, Tony Harvey Strop, he was walking with me and Rick to the sheds and I was saying just keep walking and we were just copping it and he was giving it to us and I remember the ref, I can't remember his name but I just remember him saying, look, I'm going to put you in the bin too just to calm things down maybe but yeah, I sort of wish he didn't. It was a bit of a long walk to the sheds. It's long enough at Tumba, walking with the crowd, getting into you but uh, good times, good good country footy. Club
0: President Rick O'Connell added more. I thought a solution to uh,
3: my nerves during games was to wear the ground manager's vest, walk around, mingle with the crowd, or if need be, stand near our bench and just see what was going on and make sure everyone was behaving. But the policy back then was that if uh, someone got sent to the sin bin, they were escorted off, by the ground manager. Sometimes that was fine and other times I probably wished I didn't have the damn best on at all.
0: I think one of those times, Rick, might have been round eight up at Tumbarumbo.
3: Yes, indeed. We, we had a... Uh, an ongoing battle with Tumbarumba uh, during that period, no doubt. And I know that Josh and Aaron Sweeney, for the coach of Tumbarumba, ha- had a, a long-running dispute from their uh, Sydney careers or wherever, and it always seemed to to boil over whenever they played. That game at Tumbarumba was no different, and the referee uh, gave both of them 10 minutes in the sin bin. But if you send them both to the sin bin at exactly the same time and they walk off side by side there's always the problem that things could get out of hand and they're both you know well i don't know 110 to 120 kilos six two and here i am my little orange vest in between and go oh just keep walking just keep walking (laughs) don't start anything i'm in this and there was obviously Lots of people in the crowd who um, were giving both players plenty of advice. It was interesting. uh, Thankfully, common sense prevailed and uh, we got through that um, (laughs) day unscathed, so to speak. That that was an interesting day. Safely got out of town. Not quite sure if we went back for a drink that (laughs) night. I think we might just jump in our cars and got back to Albury as quick as we could.
0: Well, for new halfback, Mitch McLeod, it was a tough return to first grade as teammate Johnny Huggett recalls.
1: That Tumba game when um, Mitch McLeod, I remember it was a Saturday game and it was a big night at Groove Saint that night. Like it was a fat party night or something like that and everyone was super excited. We got the bus home and everything. And Yeah, Moppy made a break and went to pass it. Oh, he did pass it and set up Benny for a try, but after he passed it, he got an elbow to the jaw. That was about three seconds too late and wiped him out. And there's a good photo of him getting picked up by his old man and one of the trainers with blood out of his mouth and he's half out of it. It's pretty, yeah, that was probably my favourite part of the year. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah no, I loved it.
0: Uh, did he head out with your boys that night or not?
1: He did, but he looked like a, like, he just looked like a lost puppy. He was just sitting on the couch and some shield was patting his head and telling him everything was going to be okay because he's, <laughs> he's, he's tenacious. He does,
0: He's resilient. He doesn't want to miss out. But, um, yeah, that wasn't his night. Well, there you go. For the record, I'm reliably told that Mr Sweeney is a great bloke off the field, just like many, past and present, a sufferer of the old white line fever. Sadly, for the punters, due to the draw, Tumbarumba did not return to Greenfield Park for the return bout. They would have packed them in. The young cherry pickers made the 280 kilometre trip to Aubrey for round nine, which was a debut for local lad Josh Remington and star recruit. Jake Grace, who played 50 minutes of game time. Mitch McLeod had recovered from the Tumbarumba clash to take his place and Thunder, ran away with a 13-tried demolition of the visitors, 70 to 14. Jake Grace explains how he landed in Aubrey.
5: Yeah, the boys that I went to school with were the main reason why I went down there, along with i met my wife. Uh, now wife was my wife at the time, but I met her as well, so she was a pretty big factor, you know, for me to go down there. but. I was basically just playing uh, at Penrith in the top squad there training full time and uh, playing a bit of footy with those boys. So that was good. I had, uh, had a shoulder, shoulder reconstructed the year before in September, just got back on the field and then had a hip reconstruction. So probably a bit homesick, probably down at the bottom of the barrel too um, and, and ready for a change. So yeah, good thing to meet Jolene and poke down there and, and start playing a bit of footy with the boys. Oh, yeah, I think I might have made the head waves about going. Like, you know, I was contracted there for, I can't remember, it was another couple of years or something. But, um, no, I was pretty keen for a change and get out of there. So, I already knew the fellas, you know, had been on a few uh match parties with the boys and all that. So, I was pretty keen to, to get amongst it. So, I think I got in touch with Rick and, and Josh, yeah, and had a yarn with those boys and, yeah, got something happening.
0: Now, Jake, before your debut game at home against Young at Greenfield Park, uh, you went up and had a look at the boys play at umber and what did you make of all that?
5: I went up and had a watch and it
0: was a little bit wilder. Josh and
5: um, Sweeney were rowing around like a couple of big polar bears sort of on the ground. So, and then I think I think he might have come out with a bar or something out of the shed. But, you know, it's something you don't see every day at footy. But um, I'm probably a little bit accustomed to it. We played a bit of footy against uh, Wellington growing up. That was always pretty hard sort of footy, but a bit similar. You know, a bit of Argent and barge, that sort of thing. But no, no, I wasn't I wasn't uh, daunted by it. I was probably more excited. I just wanted to be out there and join the lads, but wait. had to
0: wait my turn. Thunder made the trip to the Equex Centre in Wagga for a danger game against Wagga Kangaroos, without star fullback Ben Jeffrey, who was in Perth with the New South Wales countryside playing Western Australia. Thunder made it four losses in a row for the Kangaroos with a 32-10 victory that featured the return of Mitch Seaton after a stint in Queensland
6: in the grand final up at Burley in 2012. Got a really bad knee injury halfway through the year. Had surgery at the end of the year. It just wasn't getting better on uni wages. Um, trying to do my best, working for a family friend and um, it just got a little bit too much at the time and got invited to come back to Aubrey by Rick and and I knew Chris was playing. And realistically, we'd never played any sport together other than touch footy on a Monday night. One-on-one games in the backyard that he used to terrorise me in. Um, never thought Chris was going to ever play rugby league until he started playing when he got back from Italy. And Dad was pretty uh, influential in the in the club. So, yeah, I thought I'd come back. Well, i just finished my degree in teaching and Mum had actually... Contacted a friend down in and said, Can you do a couple of days down there? So I started working casually at, at GoTafe. And a couple of months later, she said, Catch you later. And I took over her job full time. So between there, working at the NRL still and working at the commercial club in the gym, pretty busy when I got home. Growing up, I always wanted to play rugby league for Aubrey just because of dad's influence on rugby league and um, spending a lot of time at Greenfield Park. If you listen to him, he made 150 tackles a game and there was nothing more than I wanted to do is to come back and play in a, a premiership for Aubrey. And it's pretty freaky. Dad won a grand final in 83 with the Roos and then 30 years later, Chris myself myself um, did it while, while dad was watching. So it's pretty exciting and, and pretty good times when you look back at it. It was even young fellas and we just like training hard and playing really fast footy. And um, I think we we're all skillful and fairly tough uh, as a side.
0: And yeah, and it was just built off the back of pretty much hard work. It must have been very enjoyable sticking it up the uh, northern section of the competition, particularly around the Wagga clubs.
6: The best road in Wagga is the way out, and that's how I was growing up. Being taught is to be ha- to hate anyone north of Lavington. We were the competitions mainly. They don't want us in the in the comp. But yeah, it was, um, it was exciting, exciting times because it was
0: just so much fun playing footy and, and to be back home and really enjoyable. Aubrey Thunder back at Greenfield Park belted June E 68-0 in a 13-try route with Chris Seaton and Mark Walsham both scoring three tries. Ben Jeffrey and Willie Hedder scored two apiece. So after 11 rounds, Thunder were tracking along very nicely in comparison to its premiership season the year before. Averaging 46 points per game, five less than 2012, and conceding an average 14 points, just one more than 2012. It was another home game and another big win, as the Tamora Dragons were sent home 46-4 losers, as Thunder made it seven in a row, and having conceded just 18 points in its last four games. A potential danger game was next, with a trip to Wagga to take on the brothers, Minus the party-going trio with John Huggett, Nick Wilson and Lou Goodwin. Despite this, the Thunder piled on eight tries in a commanding 46-16 victory. Cootamundra, the only team to have beaten Thunder in 2013, were in town for a highly anticipated clash that had some changes at the selection table for Thunder for a few party-goers, as Johnny Huggett explains.
1: Me, Lou and um, Nick Wilson plan to go to Splendour. It was a three-day festival over the weekend, so, yeah, he wasn't real impressed with it. When we came back, like, we had a cracking time. We went, it was worth a one-game ban from Big Daddy, that's for sure. When we came back, the next training session, Nick Wilson came up to me, he's like, oh, I just got dropped to resis. And I'm like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, he hasn't said anything to me yet. And then pretty much as soon as I said that, Kale sort of called me over. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, mate, I know. He's like, I've got to do it. And I was like, that's fair enough. And I was like, you are dropping Lou as well? And he's like, oh, he's just going to go to the bench. <laughs> it was like, it was like, it's Lou, a good one, that's fair enough. Poor old Nick Wilson never made his, uh, never made his way back into first grade after that.
0: In a fiery contest that had Thunder's Jake Grace and Kudamundra's Kakar Kakar sent off, it was a dominant first half that set up the locals' 32-18 victory, despite a heavy penalty count against them. Thunder wore specially designed playing jerseys, raising money for survivors of suicide and friends. The road trip to Tumut was next, with Thunder coming away with an unexpected waltz in the park victory, scoring 12 tries in the 68 to thrashing. Dion Belford-Lalua, Chris Seaton and Willie Hedder all scored two tries. The win, along with South City losing to Gundagai, meant Thunder were now two games clear, top of the table. Now the Daily Advertiser and Wagga were running a promotion to find out the 20 sexiest men in group nine. Readers of the paper could or would vote online for their favorite player. Aubrey Thunder had two nominations for the top 20, forwards Lou Goodwin and Mitch Davis. Lou Goodwin earned 24% of the vote to be a clear winner, with his teammate, Mitch Davis, coming in second with 14% of the vote. Mitch Davis reckoned Goodwin was all over it.
4: I reckon that was honestly a G-up. How I got runners up, I have no idea. The voters must have been blind, dead but I mean, I always knew once Lou got put in and I always knew he was going to win because he's not a bad looking fella. And it doesn't matter what club you go to with him. You walk in and all the shields turn their heads and start looking at him. You think, oh, far out, here we go. But how well I came second, I don't know. But I remember <laughs> Lou rang me one day and he goes, what are you doing? And I said, oh, not much What you up do? And he goes, well, come round. We've got a photographer coming to do a photo shoot for this We're in the paper for this hottest, sexiest thing. And I said, you're joking. Aren't you? And he goes, no. Nah. Anyway, so we turned up to Lou's house. <laughs> he's got all these weights out that we had to, we're doing all these bicep curls and push-ups and oh, I was so embarrassing and I, I, I couldn't even keep a straight face, I'm trying not to laugh and thinking why oh, this is so embarrassing, I'm going to cop it off everyone. It was funny but yeah it was.
0: Well it wouldn't have done his reputation any harm around town even though it was all still pretty strong already I
4: suppose. Yeah I def- definitely, definitely was strong back then anyway but yeah no, he, he loved it, he thrived on it, not me but I just wanted to hide in the corner. <laughs>
0: Jakey Grace also recalled another Goodwin prank on teammate Andrew Cowan.
5: I tell you, when you're in Lou Goodwin, every day is a funny day. Like, like I said before, he's high on life. He's serious about nothing. He's got a body of a God and eats like shapes and all that sort of thing. So just spending every training session with him, you couldn't walk away sad. You'd always be happy. But no, there was one story on Mad Monday, and I can't even say who it was, but there was a few bungers uh, thrown around. One may have landed in the lap of a, a big bloke with dreadlocks, his name will remain un, un, uh, undisclosed, but big, uh, big dreadlock <laughs> uh, you yeah, know, Funga landed in his lap and went off and it wasn't the prettiest sight, but all I can say, lucky he had a bit extra length, he could spare a bit, so it was all good.
0: Thunder, with the round 18 bye in the final round, had two massive games ahead against Gundyguy and South City. Just one win was required to secure the minor premiership and a home final in week two of the finals. First up, it was Gundy Guy at home, with Thunder missing hooker Mark Walsham and playmaker Willie Hedder. It was a huge weekend in Aubrey for rugby league with the reunion of former players being held. In one of the games of the season, Thunder was slow out of the blocks as Gundy Guy led 10-0 before Thunder hit back with three converted tries to lead 18-10. The Tigers came again with two tries to regain the lead 22-18 with half an hour remaining. Aubrey however unleashed a blistering seven minute burst as Mitch Seaton, Dion Belford-Lalua and Nick Wilson all scored tries to wrap up the minor premiership and win 40-22. The win was soured by a broken arm to veteran forward Steve Meredith that looked to have ended his season. Aubrey Thunder's final game was in Wagga against South City. With both teams already aware of where they would finish on the ladder the game lacked the normal sting of the old rivals, with South City winning 24-18, with a late try breaking the 18-all deadlock. Thunder lost Jake Grace early with concussion, while coach Josh Cale suffered an injury setback.
2: I played a game at Harris Park in Wagga, (laughs) And I thought I need to get a few more minutes. So I played reserve grade and then I went on and played first grade. And anyway, one of their players drove his knee into the back of my calf and then pulled my leg towards him. So it it had done something to my calf. It couldn't seem to recover. So I give it a little bit of time off and obviously we had the week off. And then I suited up for the game at home and ran a couple of laps in the warm-up. And yeah, that was it. I I didn't get out of my um, trench coat. I, I stayed on the bench the whole game. So I didn't make the field. Um, so, really, I didn't get a lot of footy in the last probably six weeks of the comp. Um, Robbo, I got put onto him through someone, um, a mutual friend, and I went down and just said to me, you know, if you get on in the final once you come off, that's it, mate. So, make the most of while you're on there. But, you know, I didn't last too long.
0: Had a lot of faith in who was on there. One, like you had a bit of trust in who else was there.
2: Obviously, Andrew Cowan started playing a lot better footy. He really progressed, and this was probably a really good year for him. And yeah, he was young, and I always thought I was a really good trainer. But I started getting a bit older, and my knee wasn't much good, and I was really struggling to um, get two good sessions out. So yeah, while ever I thought I can't um, lead from the front at training or, or try and push. I was, I was sort of struggling. I, yeah, I was. knew yep. time was ticking down for me. So I, a lot of the times I'd come off the bench and, and let him start and yep. I'd probably just go on there for a bit of my experience and sort of try and play as much as I could and yeah, help them young blokes out. But they were doing really well. We had great structures. Uh, you know, the majority of them were there from the year before. So yep. they, were, they just seemed like they were getting better and better.
0: In week one of the finals, Cootamundra defeated Kangaroos in the elimination final, winning a Thriller at Cootamundra 36 to 30. In the reserves, Aubrey Thunder, despite two tries from Daniel Jacobs, were beaten 18-16 by Kangaroos to complete a bad day for Thunder with the league tag girls and under 18 boys both being eliminated. In the seniors qualifying final, South City earned the right to take on Aubrey Thunder next week with a comfortable 28-12 win over the Gundigai Tigers. A final round bye and the first week off of the finals as minor premiers meant Thunder had a 21-day gap between matches. So how did they prepare for the finals? Josh Cale explains.
2: We went to Wagga and we took some hit shields with us and like some body suits and we trained out the back and then we'd sit and watch the game. Yeah, Another time to all get together, we'd go up there on a bus Kevin Rogers drove the bus for us, which he always did, which was great. So we trained on the junior league ovals um, out the back and did a really solid session. Go over there, we'd train our butts off and then we'd go and have a share and then we'd all sit on the hill and have a few beers or whatever and watch the game and then we'd go back together. And like I said, we couldn't spend enough time with each other, which I think is important.
0: You're training all year though. You sort of maintained a pretty high level right throughout, though, didn't you? And it was dropping off.
2: No, nah, we used to try and do a four-week... Cycle where we'd do three tough sessions on the, the Tuesday night and then the fourth Tuesday of that month we'd try and have like a club night or a, or a games night and just break it up a little yep. bit. But, you know, you're playing fitness games on those nights so you're getting a good workout anyway. Yeah. But the boys just had a bit of fun. It was a bit of a freshen up and I thought it was a good thing for us at the time to, you know, while we we're still working hard, you know, have a bit of fun. I knew we had that fourth week to look forward to.
0: A huge home crowd rolled into Greenfield Park for the second semi-final with Josh Kale a last minute withdrawal and Steve Meredith missing from a full strength side. A tough and rugged first half resulted in just one try as Thunder took an 8-0 lead into half-time. Thunder struck back early on resumption with a try under the post to Jake Grace before a Daniel Jacobs purple patch of three tries torpedoed Thunder into the 2013 Grand Final. Brilliant lead-up work by Ben Jeffrey and Dion Belford-Lailua played a huge part in all three Jacob tries at the 63rd, 67th and 70th minutes, as Thunder kept a defensive clean sheet, winning 34-0. Jacobs, who played in the Thunder's reserve grade premierships to two previous seasons, recalls the game.
7: Well, I was playing Reggie's at the start of the year. I'd played in a couple of reserve grade grand finals the two previous seasons. AC joint, tear in my shoulder in the 2012 grand final. So yeah, coming back from surgery was a bit of a blessing in a way. Gave me a chance to, uh, with the rehab, sort of gave me an excuse to really focus on fitness and that kind of thing. And came back pretty nervous for the start of the 2013 season. Started in reserve grade. I think I played the first maybe seven or eight rounds in reserve grade and lucky enough to get the call up from Josh Cale. Going into that finals game out at Cootamundra for reserves, we'd finished minor premier in first grade. We had the bye in the last round. So just not much footy coming into the, into the end of the season with a bye, get the first week off. So yeah, it was a chance to get a bit of extra footy under the belt and unfortunately went down by two points in that one. Missed the goal on the siren to level that one up. It was good. I got a got a couple to get us back in the game, and then missed the critical one. I don't remember too much, but I remember that one just shaving across the face of the posts, and it wasn't good. It was a tight match, but unfortunately couldn't get it over for the boys and yeah, that was the end of their season. <laughs> as sad as that is to say, that was the
0: end of them. But there was bigger things to come. And
7: cracking day from memory, the semi final against South City. That was a big game. They'd. Well, they might have beaten us a couple of weeks before. Yeah, I was marked up on um, Sean Ainscove from memory, who had all the, all the talk of the town around him. was lucky enough to get out of the line a couple of times there, playing outside Dion. I think I got a few raps that game, pretty much contribute most of it to Dion. There was a couple there where I ran a total of about three metres to get a couple of them. Yeah, I can't really take too much credit for scoring those tries, but no, nah, it was a good day and I came out and sort
0: of wiped the park with them. The following Sunday, Gundy Guy, with its first win over South City in three years, survived a late comeback from the Bulls to win 24-20 and again had the chance to break an alarming grand final hoodoo since its last premiership in 1983. Since the 1983 flag, Gundy Guy had lost eight grand finals. Meanwhile, in the Aubrey camp, they named a full strength side with coach Josh Cale and veteran Steve Meredith both named. Meredith had missed six weeks with a broken arm. Both teams had big followings with over 5,000 spectators in the house on a warm spring afternoon at the Equex Centre in Wagga as Gundy Guy coach and Wiesel medal winner James Smart got proceedings underway with an early thunder mistake. James Smart from Gundagai gets the Group Nine Grand Final underway
8: and immediately Aubrey bring the ball back and they're gonna play the ball about 20 metres out on their own goal line. As the big second row at Davis plays the ball, they go to the short side and taking it up is Grace and Grace is tackled, about 20 metres in from touch on the far side and he's lost the ball as he went to get up and play it,
0: has he? It's going to be a scrum. Just minutes later, Jake Grace made amends for his early mistake with the opening try. And Heater
8: puts it high in the air. It's going to come down. Getting underneath it over here is Gorman. Gorman's under some pressure. In fact, he's under a lot of pressure from his own player, really putting him under pressure with Phil Ladu and racing through the Aubrey side, I think you'll find, to regather the ball and they're going from Dummy Hart, but they're not going to get there. They're really close to the line as the ball comes out the left side of the field. A quick hands from Heater. Away it goes to Grace. Grace for the line, scores! Right Four points to nil. Yeah, they've got a six to go there on that kick.
2: And uh, well, they'll add a little bit more up their sleeve if they hadn't got in there. They've gone left. Uh, a very good try, I think. Uh, Jake Grace
0: under guy hit back hard with two tries in quick succession to take the ascendancy and lead. Elphick comes down the centre of the track
8: to be tackled, nine metres out, about 22 metres in from touch, he plays the ball, Chris Rose goes back, it goes then to Dean, Dean uploads the ball across a long pass that's not a good one but Ladu gets it on the bounce, he gets away from one, he gets away from two, reaches out and well, he made a mistake at front end, but he's made up for it by running over the top of that six with a Maori sidestep. Wow! Last play coming up for the guy Tigers. They lead six points to four. Open side it comes. James Smart. Little grubber kick and going onto the field and scoring the second try with his first touch. Brett Eccleston puts the Tigers in front by six. Very, very lucky bounce there. The grubber, the angle grubber,
2: I'm pretty sure hit an Albury player's foot and popped up very, very invitingly there for the number 10, the big prop, Brett Eggleston. And uh, he had enough strength when he gathered the ball. He had enough strength to force his way over for the try.
0: Thunder hit back with a brilliant backline move at the 27 minute mark. McLeod at dummy
8: half. He gets it away to Cowan. Cowan is a huge fellow. Charges the line. He's still going. Cowan, can he get the ball down? He can't. He's held up just short of the goal line. Last tackle coming up. Ball goes away. It comes away to McLeod. McLeod gets away from one. A long cut out pass to Seaton, the winger. Seaton for the corner. Seaton. Chris Seaton scores in the corner. And Aubrey score at second try with 13 to go in the first half. It's to 12. Aubrey
0: Just minutes later the Tigers made Thunder pay badly for a mistake from the restart to extend its lead to 16-8. And the Gundagai go on the
8: attack. A mistake by Aubrey immediately after the restart. And what do they say? The hardest to set to concentrate on is the one after you've scored. Well, Aubrey lost the ball and given Guy a chance to hit straight back as James Smart gets a ball out the back, it comes to Dean. Long ball goes to Matt Rose. Matt Rose to the winger, Rin, rin for the corner and Rin scores in the left corner for the Tigers. And they lead 16-8 with a kick to
2: come. Gee, that was a good try. That was, that was a fabulous pass. Terrific try, and what an answer for the try that was scored at the other end on us.
0: Five minutes before half time, the combination of Ben Jeffrey and Willie Header put Thunder back in the contest.
8: On the ball's played now. It goes from Walsham. Back it goes to Jeffrey. Jeffrey puts a bend in a hole. It's Heater, and Heater going for the line, and Heater reaches out and scores Aubrey's third try. So here's Geoffrey, an easier attempt than his others today, virtually in front of the sticks, moves in and converts the try. So there's two points in it from here
0: at Wagga. It's Gundagai leading 16-14. It was a chaotic finish to the first half, which featured two penalties after the siren and a bit of fisticuff as the grand final was on a knife edge after Mitch McLeod had gone down. But as winger Daniel Jacobs recalled, he may have been putting a little bit of mayo on it. I know it was a tight
7: match. One thing I remember is... Um... Mitch McLeod taking a dive in the middle of the game. I think that was a bit of a scuffle, a bit of rough and tumble, and Moppy's found himself flat on his back, arms outstretched. Just, oh, he looked like he was absolutely dead. Ref's, ref's finally blown a penalty, I think, and he's jumped up to his feet and started trying to fight everyone. Turned out he was faking the whole thing. <laughs>
8: Oh, he milked the hell out of it. It was unreal, but you'd expect nothing less from him. Play. There's a blow on, there's a blow on, because I tell you what, one of the Guy players, I think it was Jeffrey, was absolutely poleaxed, or is it McLeod, who might have been knocked at, knocked over after he, after he passed the ball as he offloaded it to Goodwin. And there's certainly something happened. The ball came back. James Smart had the shot at goal and went drifting right across towards this left side of the field as if it was a planned move. and uh, went nowhere near the posts. When the, the Albury players brought it back, the, uh, the pass, one pass to the centre of the field, and all of a sudden there's a player in back play, and it's McLeod, He's down on his haunches. He was flat out at one stage, so I'm just wondering whether he was taken late. And after he was taken late, Wu's been called out, so I can only presume that Wu has taken him late. And then the Albury player who saw it objected to it, let the Wu have one on the chops, and then a few others came in. Uh, to try and take matters into their own hands. Now, the final, the fo- half-time siren went <laughs> about three minutes ago. And we're going to see a penalty now to Aubrey. Yeah. <laughs> now, have you ever seen this, Warren? No. Two penalties, one to each side well, after the half-time siren's gone. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that in my life. Now, he's taken the, t- the tap. tap kicked he's kicked it, it into touch. So no reason for a restart. No reason now. That's it. It's all o- that's the first half of football's over and we've had a couple of cautions towards the end of it as it literally got heated on
0: half time. Thunder started the second half in brilliant fashion, with Ben Jeffrey showing his class.
8: 30 metres out from Gundagai's goal line, they come to the side again, and Jeffrey, Jeffrey claps on the accelerator, gets through again, Jeffrey for the line, Jeffrey, oh, Jeffrey's left them, hanging out the drive, scores a wonderful try. Oh, that was just sheer individual
0: class, and Aubrey hits the lead by 18 points to 16. Six minutes later, Thunder hooker Mark Walsham caught the Tigers defence napping.
8: Mitch Seaton, the centre, is tackled. Nine metres out now from Gundagai's line. <laughs> almost in centre field. Open side, they come to McLeod. McLeod throws it to Davis. Davis for the line. Doesn't get there. He's tackled about a metre out from the Gundagai goal line. Aubrey at the moment. And now from Dummy Hart. Walsham throws the Dummy. And scores! 24 16. kick
0: to come in favour of the Thunder. Really came out through a big one there to the left. And. Uh, Walsham, the number nine, and just straightened up and dives in. Gundy Guy, trailing by 10 points, fought back with a brilliant try to Reardon in the corner. Ball comes
8: away to Dean, a long couple. Away it goes to Matt Rose. Matt Rose, lovely flick pass to Reardon. And Reardon scores in the left timer for the Tigers. They're back in business. 26-20 kick to come. Well, terrific attack.
0: With five minutes left, Mitch Davis was taken high to give Thunder another chance to add points and take further time off the clock. Penalty to Aubrey. And the big man, Andrew Cowan, comes off, gets a,
8: a rousing reception, and Steve Meredith goes on for the last six minutes of the game. Don't have a crack goal. Jeffrey moves in, here strikes it sweetly, two more points to Aubrey. Aubrey in front by 10, five minutes to go in the game, and Aubrey leads 30 points to 20 in the Group Nine grand final here in Walker.
0: One last attack by the tiring Tigers was averted as the Aubrey Thunder made it back-to-back titles with a 30 to 20 victory.
8: mid loses it, and the ball has been knocked down by Aubrey, knocked on by uh, Gundagai,
0: and the siren goes, and referee Bernie Nick says that is it. As the Thunder players celebrated. proud club president Rick O'Connell reflected on a brilliant year for the club. Look I think
3: that Josh and the players and everyone had built such a great atmosphere in in 2012 and that continued into 2013 and I think our young younger local juniors and that just thrived on it. Just the attitude of training and you could see that towards the end of the season when and, you know, Rex Sargent came into first grade and Josh Remington came into first grade. You know, they're only just out of juniors. That impact on all the players. I think we had 31 people played a first grade game that year, so that a number of the players had a lot of representative commitments and other things on. So it took its toll and, you know, and then you, you want to rest players. and. I know Steve Meredith got a uh, an injury during the season, and I, I think even Josh Cale took a significant injury into the grand finals. So, yeah, there was always the opportunity there for, for people to get a run, and, and people were happy with that, and reserve grade was really competitive. Yeah, so that I think they're part of it. But as a club, we were just going well, people knew who the Aubrey Thunder were, and end up wanting to ask questions and who do you play and where do you go and, you know, how do you think you'll go this year? So, yeah, that's all part and parcel of that, you know, building from one year to another and, look, <laughs> it's hard enough to win one, let alone to think you're going to be in a position to, to to win two.
0: While John Hill medal winner for Best on Ground, Mitch Davis reflected back on the club's achievement.
4: Oh, I just loved Aubrey. I loved the club and they, they looked after me so well and I just wanted to perform for them like it wasn't and the fans and the crowd and the sponsors and everyone like everyone treated us so well down there and i really do miss albury to this day like i still do and i miss the supporters and the club and everything like that and so i just wanted the team and the town to be to be proud of me as a player and i just wanted to always be that player that everyone wanted to play with sort of thing so you know unreal like, honestly for a bush footy side best support i've ever seen to this day like i mean the, the town got right around us like it, it wouldn't matter where you go like we'd always chris seaton's old man pablo is well connected calling pablo escobar <laughs> he was very well connected so whenever you needed something for your ute or your car or whatever it's "Go see this bloke you know everywhere you would go people would look after you and were really welcoming and warm and yeah it was so it was great support. And a lot of the time, that's what made our our home ground a real graveyard, I reckon. Like, the porters just used to get around us and, you know, we made it a big thing. Like, we, did, we didn't want to lose at home. We wanted, and we were the furthest down from anywhere. So we wanted teams to really dread coming to Albury. Like, you know, they had the Albury trip that weekend. We wanted them to be mentally beat before they even got there. Even on the paddock, sort of thing. So, and the and the crowd and the town really helped get behind us to make that happen, sort of thing. So it was good. Like I said, looking back, it was probably one of the, well the best side I've ever played in. And being such a young fella, I, I never really sort of appreciated that at the time. But now being a bit older since I've left, like yeah, I don't, yeah, it's it was a really unreal special side and a special town to play for and a special club, you know, for me anyway.
0: Jake Grace spoke of the strong bond within the club. It's success and the coaching ability of Josh Cale to make it all happen.
5: That team, like I think a lot of the Forbes boys we'd played a lot of footy for with and experienced a lot of success. I mean it was a few years later since we'd done all that, but we teamed up with, you know, all then good local boys from the Aubrey area, you know, with, like you say, the Seatons in the in the backs there and Benny Jeffries and, you know, blokes like yeah, Huggy and Mosby, all these fellas that were just good blokes and, and good footy, hard footy players, you know, we we obviously had a pretty good connection from school, but then well, we know all them blokes I'm good mates of all them fellas and been to their weddings and you know their their wives and all that. So I think that was probably our key was our bonds, you know, that Josh had sort of kept us honest and kept us, you know, created that sort of connection with, with the lads and we had a good year, but it wasn't didn't come from just luck, it was we something we all worked on pretty hard. Once you're successful and if you can build a successful club, you know, the the rest sort of follows and the one thing Aubrey is successful in, whether it's whether you measure your success of how many premierships you've won or probably the quality of the people at the club is probably more so how I measure success. You know, that blokes like Rick and all those those blokes that give their heart and soul to that to club, you know, not just when the times are good, but when times are tough, that paves it paves a way for success. You know, it's a, it's a big town and, and it's a bloody good place to live. And there's a lot of good people that back the club from an outside source, you know, with, with older blokes that they chip in a bit to buy players or just offer a bit of support and that sort of thing. So like I say, all that hard work done behind the scenes creates that club. And I mean, we're just lucky that we get to share that success as players. I mean, obviously you make that happen, but it's from the backing of yeah, a lot of good people behind the scenes that make stuff, you know, make stuff work for us.
0: What about Josh kale as a coach? What made him so successful?
5: Uh, yeah, no, Josh is just a good bloke. I mean, Josh is a, he's a very successful coach, but I think along with that, he you knows that fine line. I mean, he was, a, he was a very good player. He didn't go to Sydney for no reason. But he sort of knew that balance between able to manage players as a mate but then also have enough authority to lay his foot down when he needed to, you know, kick us into gear. I mean, I could imagine trying to coach Lou Goodwin, Andrew Cowan, Mitch Davis, all these boys that are just high on life, love their footy, you know, and we, we always had a good time. But Josh sort of probably instilled that, you know, when we had to turn on, we had to be on and and nothing sort of came to us if you didn't rip in and try. I mean, I was lucky enough, I'd come to Forbes and won, as a captain and coach, won a premiership here, and I probably modelled myself a little bit off Josh, and just what, you know, just those few little key tactics that he instils in his players, as about being a mate, but then also being able to, you know, get the results when you need to, step up and, and lay a bit of authority down, and I think that's probably his strong point.
0: The Aubrey Thunder 2013 premiership side, Fullback, Ben Jeffrey. Wings, Daniel Jacobs, Chris Seaton. Centres, Mitch Seaton, Dion Belford-Lalua. 5'8", Willie Header. Halfback, Mitch McLeod. Locke, Lou Goodwin. Second rowers, Jake Grace and John Huggett. Front row, Mitch Davis, Andrew Cowan, Booker Mark Walsham. On the bench, Josh Cale, Tom Fry, Steve Meredith, Rex Sargent, Josh Remington, and Nick Wilson. The coach, Josh Kale. There you have it. What an amazing achievement by Aubrey Thunder going back-to-back premiers in one of Country Rugby League's strongest competitions. A huge thanks to episode sponsors, Meredith Joinery, Kale Plumbing, Porter Homes, Black Cats Sponsors Group, M7M Developments, and Aubrey Thunder Rugby League Club for making this episode possible. That's it for now. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to catching you again on Glory Days.